Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Another episode of Right Minded with Matt Curran. I'm your host, if you guessed it correctly, Matt Curran. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, or theological insights, give us an uh, email. Rightmindedpodcast at gmail.com. That's rightmindedpodcast at gmail.com. So, folks, I want to just start off by saying our last episode, our bonus content, even over a busy weekend where not a whole lot of people listen because a lot of people listen to work. I look at my statistics all the time. We've got quite a good amount of followers. We get quite a good amount of emails coming in, and a lot of y'all listen to it while at work. So when I put this bonus content out over the weekend, I was very nervous, and I also wanted to do sort of a test weekend run, and we got a lot of reception to it. Now, we're not going to make this a regular thing. I've got a personal life I've got to attend to as well, but... We will consider doing uh, bonus content as needed when something comes up, when duty calls, I will give bonus content over the weekend as we see fit here. So we will keep that in our back pocket and use it for future, uh, future, um, I guess, situations. And we want to thank Blaine for being on the show. But I do want to expand on something. Because, we, man, we had a good segment. That segment was great. We could have kept going on and on and on, but I knew we had to end it. So what I wanted to expand on were the I-9 programs of minimum wage. And if you didn't listen to the minimum wage segment, you might want to go back and listen to that first, that conversation with Blaine, before you listen to this. What do I mean by I-9s? Well, for those of you who don't understand, when you get a job, when you apply for a job, or not when you apply, but when you're hiring – for a job, when you go through the initial hiring process, you have to give them a cop or the physical copy of your social security card, a physical copy of your driver's license. That's what most people give, but you can give passports or uh, you know some sort of birth certificate or what have you. you. You have to show that you're a citizen of the United States, that you have documentation right, in order to work there. And it, you, they usually require two or they have different paths or whatever, however you do it. So what does this have to do with minimum wage? Well, it intertwines with immigration. And we didn't touch on it a whole lot, Blanton and I, but I wanted to talk to you about it and how it intertwines with immigration. Well, I have illegal friends from growing up that I talk to. I have friends that 
like I said with Blaine, that have worked or with the Republican National Committee who talk with the Business Commerce Chamber up in Washington, D.C. Uh, I have friends that work in that, that or have worked in construction and have told me some of the things that they have seen going on illegally in that just in the construction industry alone. And let me tell you a little bit about them. So we, we already covered the uh, business chamber commerce thing and how they don't like legal immigration, how they don't like Donald Trump enforcing immigration laws because they want the cheaper labor. That's in general. But how the, this affects the I-9s. So there's two prospects. One, my illegal friends tell me that they got these immigration rings, okay, from franchisees to working for small businesses at like Luigi's, you know, Strawberry Picking Farm or what have you. And what this is, so when you submit your I-9s, you have 90 days to get it approved by the Department of Homeland Security. So you submit it to the Department of Homeland Security. They give you a thumbs up, thumbs down. During that time, a lot of businesses, they guess what they don't have to pay? They don't have to pay the initial minimum wage because the current minimum wage law under federal guidelines is that it's phased out. So for the first 90 days, they could pay you 5 bucks an hour. Did you know that? I bet you that, but now not a lot of businesses do that because it's considered you know cheap. It's considered cheap, but but during those ninety days, while they're waiting to get approved, they don't have to keep any record of you. You know what they could do? What they could do, and what they do do, is they'll say, you know, we don't, we're not going to pay you uh, any benefits. Uh, in fact, we're not going to even put you on a payroll. We're just going to give you, you know, sort of under the table thing. Now, why is that important? Yeah, it's important for taxes, federal tax, but it's more important because of the Social Security tax, for the Medicare tax, because the employers pay that too. Not just the employee paying into it, but the employer. Because I bet you didn't know. So the federal tax. The the company doesn't have to pay that. That's just the employee paying it, okay? The federal tax or whatever, and that's just taken out of your paycheck. And uh, I'm I'm just going to assume that everyone pretty much gets the basis of how federal taxes in general works, okay? Where you know if 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 you just made ten bucks at a place and they take a dollar out for federal tax and that's all you made for the year and you found it you get your dollar back, but the social security stuff is important because the employer is supposed to match what the employees paying into the social security system and for Medicare and that generally roughly between both the employee and the employer equals fifteen percent they split it halfway down the middle so now the employer doesn't have to pay that extra seven and a half percent. And that's important because now that saves them money. They don't have to provide all these benefits. And so now it's just straight, you know, nine bucks an hour or five bucks an hour or whatever the heck they agree to. And so these immigration rings go around where they say, okay, come work at the Chick-fil-A franchisee for 90 days. And then when we get the thumbs down, we'll move you over to Cookout. And then we'll move you over to Luigi's uh, Strawberry Picking Farm. Okay, and then we'll move you over to Vista Print. You know, and these are examples that my uh, that my butt. And by the way, I don't want this to be an oust on Cookout, Chick-fil-A, Vista Print, or you know, some farm or whatever. The corporations themselves do not know. These are strictly the franchisees who they my friends have not revealed their names. So you know, the the Cookout Corporation's not going to know. You know, had the I nines came back, and you know, they're not going to get in trouble. It's it's the franchisees' responsibility. And by the way, the home the Department of Homeland Security gets rejections all the time for I-9s, and it's not always illegal immigration. 
it's most of the time, you know, someone's not just credit card or not, not credit card, social security fraud. Somebody might try to be using your car. They might have it or a license is expired or the birth certificate's out of date or the passport picture's not up to date. So there's a variety of reasons why these things are always denied or the picture might be, you know, when it's uploaded, it might be uh, blurry. So they have to go get another one. Okay. So, so it's, it's, it's a lot more common than you think. Okay, so so I just wanted to mention that. And then how this relates to, to DACA, okay, <sighs> because Donald Trump wanted to get DACA straight. He unsigned it because it's unconstitutional, and I'm for DACA. I believe – I actually am in favor of DACA, and so is Donald Trump. And and I, I, I believe Barack Obama and Donald Trump were on the same page with this. The only difference was that Donald Trump saw it as unconstitutional and Barack Obama didn't. You, an executive order – okay, let's get something straight. An executive order enhances enhance, – it's supposed to execute the law, right? So you can't just go out, in there, go out and sign an executive order creating immigration law. You can't just sign an executive order saying that, uh, you know – you have to buy health insurance. You know, if 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 they didn't go through Congress and Barack Obama just signed that, that would be unconstitutional. But going back to minimum wage, Barack Obama signed an executive order saying that all federal employees, all federal contracts must have a twelve dollar minimum wage. That's that's totally constitutional because he's executing within the federal branch, his government. He's managing it. But if Barack Obama wanted to say, uh, sign an executive order saying that uh, the entire United States must go to fifteen dollars. $15 minimum wage an hour or whatever, that would be unconstitutional. He can't go beyond managing the federal government. You know, he could sign an executive order saying, you know, transgenders are allowed into the Pentagon and to work at in the in the U.S. military. That's constitutional because he manages the military. He can ex- do an executive order to change policy, you know, or to enhance a law. But, but he cannot create this DACA program. So Donald Trump unsigned it trying to get Congress to do it, and this is important because he tried to get Congress to do it, and Congress punted on it, both Republicans and Democrats. Congress doesn't want anything to do with this because they want this cheap labor to keep flooding over the border. And so I have folks like my my friend that works that used to work in a construction business tell me that, yeah, she had $10 an hour workers coming in. They weren't getting paid any benefits. They weren't paying any Social Security tax at all. It was all under the table. All straight cash. Now, if when when we have our next Social Security debate, are you going to be mad about that? Because who's going to pay for that? The illegals aren't going to pay for it. So, it's it it all adds to like the minimum wage stuff. It all it all sort of blends together, okay? Because when if minimum wage goes up to fifteen dollars an hour, this you know these illegals making six bucks an hour or. You know, some of, now look. My my illegal friends do say that you know they some of them do they start off at six thousand hours and when they get to know the system at the various rings they they'll get up to about eight or nine. Not that that makes should make you feel any better, but they don't get jousted at like you know two bucks an hour or whatever. But some of the construction guys they start off at ten, and you have to think ten dollars an hour if you're working at a construction business and you're an illegal and you get ten dollars an hour. You got to think. Well, that's pretty decent considering I don't have to pay taxes. Uh, if I was making thirteen dollars an hour, I would probably have to pay taxes on it. So there, I mean, there's there's some of that that does even out from a hum, human rights standpoint. If you're trying to make yourself feel better, 
But at the end of the day, it still hurts the American worker on the minimum wage front. And again, it goes back to international trade. In that, in that entire discussion, Blanton and I had that, that you all love. Well, we'll move on to the next topic. I just wanted to clarify things on the minimum wage and other thoughts that I wanted to ram in here. Uh, 2024. A lot of folks have emailed me and, and just discussions in general, in general with friends. Whether or not I think Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. the ninth will run if he makes it to the end of his term in 2024 for re-election. Uh, that's a hard one. I actually think – look, I know there's theories out there Kamala Harris is going to jump in at some point, whether it's before or after the midterms or Joe Biden won't run for re-election or Joe Biden will run for re-election. I mean there's so many variables variables here a lot of it's to do with his age and mental health that's so inherently obvious uh i will say we have kind of been here before we are in a very similar situation as we were in the 1970s what do i mean by this from the 1970s so let's start off with with the or the late 1960s as well so jfk gets assassinated lyndon johnson comes in okay so Lyndon Johnson comes in. Lyndon Johnson is not the most, uh, shall we say, uh, charismatic president. Okay, he's mostly reelected because of his popularity tied to the late JFK, um, and then with the Vietnam War, his approval ratings just practically sink. He ends up with a primary challenge as an incumbent president. Barely wins the New Hampshire primary, but can't. But by the way, the state order back then. I know this, a lot of people think the state order today is Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. Then you got Super Tuesday or Nevada. Then Super Tuesday. Back then, the order was just developing. That's a whole other conversation we could say for a whole other time. So I don't want people to think like Wisconsin came out of nowhere. But so LBJ loses New Hampshire. Or I mean, wins New Hampshire barely, and then goes on to the second state and. Is about to lose Wisconsin. His polling numbers are sinking even further. So he decides to make a national statement and not run for re-election. Meaning, I started running and I'm going to withdraw from the race. So he doesn't even run. So they run this uh, Hooper Humphrey guy. uh, And he ends up losing to Richard Nixon. Now, why is this significant? Well, actually, you know what? Let me run you through the entire, the rest of the the, the late '60s and the and the and the early '70s. Okay. So now we have Richard Nixon as president. Richard Nixon comes in, law and order message. He ends up winning re-election handily. He, you know, he you know he's basically another five-year president like LBJ. His vice president, in the meantime, has resigned. Uh, so he has to fill this vice presidency uh, vacancy with a guy named Gerald Ford, an establishment warhorse for the Republicans. He's been, Gerald Ford had been a congressman in the United States Congress since like Harry S. Truman. So they figure, you know, Richard Nixon's going to finish out his term. Let's just give it to this guy. Rich, Gerald Ford has no viable, you know, future career in politics. It's just a good way to say thank you for for your help to your country and your party. We'll just, you know, send you out on Air Force Two. Have a good day. Well, next thing you know, there's the Watergate scandal. Richard Nixon resigns. Gerald Ford now has to take this mantle, this this broken Republican mantle, and and sort of bring it to the finish line 
1976. There's just one problem. In 1976, as Gerald Ford is now trying to get the his party's nomination as the incumbent president, he's faced with a primary challenge from Ronald Reagan. And on the other side, Jimmy Carter sort of sweeps in, wins the nomination in 1976. So, and, and then, you know, beats Gerald Ford. Then comes 1980. And in 1980, Jimmy Carter's the incumbent president and is faced with a primary challenge from Ted Kennedy. Jimmy Carter also barely wins his nomination against Ted Kennedy with only 51% of the vote. Ted Kennedy puts up strong numbers, barely able to not win half of these states. And, you know, I mean, he wins some states like the, you know, the big ones like Arizona, Pennsylvania, what have you. But Jimmy Carter able to pull it out. But then in the in the end, it really doesn't matter because then he gets hammered by Ronald Reagan in the general election. So then, then from Ronald Reagan to pretty much 2020, this last this last election, we really haven't seen a whole lot of incumbents being challenged in primaries. It's been pretty much, okay, we have party support for the incumbent. Let's just keep them going, okay? And a lot of people thought that would happen with Donald Trump. Donald Trump had record incumbent turnout for primaries, even though, he, you know, they had other people primarying him, blah, blah, blah. But he still beat Barack Obama's numbers as an incumbent. Barack Obama only won 70% of his reelection vote in the primary I'm talking about. Donald Trump won like 99%. Okay, now, Nobody was even worried about Barack Obama in 2012, but the main point is with Do- with Joe with President Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. the ninth's health and mental condition and age he's 78 years old and the history from 1968 I just took you through the 1980 with Jimmy Carter uh, you look at Joseph uh, let's also look back at history let's look at something else. The last non-charismatic president in my eyes was Jimmy Carter, Gerald Ford, and LBJ. That era had non-charismatic presidents. Of the four presidents between LBJ and Jimmy Carter, Richard Nixon was the only charismatic one. Yeah, he got out because he was in the midst of a scandal. But you can't tell me that Donald Trump's not charismatic. Whether you hate him or you love him, you're attracted to the TV and the cell phone. He attracts... Uh, way, the biggest amount of crowds you've ever seen at rallies. Bigger than Barack Obama's. Barack Obama is also charismatic. He attracts a certain segment of the population and attracts decent-sized crowds. George W. Bush, he's also charismaticificated, right? Always made fun of on TV. But uh, people always some, uh, always had a, uh, what should I say, a uh, an attractification. Uh, no, that's not the word. Attractiveness. Attractiveness to him. Okay, you look at that race in 2000 between Al Gore and George Bush. They were both similarly, both similarly had charismatic effects. And then you had William Jefferson Clinton playing the saxophone on late night TV. Very, very charismatic. And then you had H.W. Bush. I can't do an H.W. Bush voice. Let me just not. Let me just save you there. But he was very charismatic. Read my lips. I mean, but you, you had someone out charismatic him, and then you had that three races, which is why Bill Clinton, some people think Bill Clinton won because that. And then you had the great communicator, Ronald Reagan. But you go back and look at Jimmy Carter. I mean, just even look at the State of the Unions. 
Trump, Obama, Bush, all these guys between Reagan and Trump, they had great State of the Union's addresses from from a, a, a attractiveness level that you couldn't take your eyes off the TV. You were engaged. They had guests. They're generally liked. But, uh, you know, they generally, by the way, a president gives in his first year a joint session of Congress. So not a State of the Union, but, you know, like every president, they they might sell it as a State of the Union address, but it's really a joint session of Congress address in early February, within three, four weeks of the president being inaugurated. Now, some are going to give the excuse Donald Trump's impeachment, blah, blah, blah. But a reporter asked Nancy Pelosi the other day, when will uh, Joe Biden give his joint, his joint session of Congress speech? She said, we don't know. We'll have to see how the relief package goes. So I don't think they, – they don't even want Joe Biden out there. He's not charismatic. They didn't have anyone at his inauguration. At least Jimmy Carter had you know people show up. Jimmy Carter and LBJ were Democrats of the South. You know, They at least had like some support. I, 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 Biden may not even be able to get through the whole speech. They may not, we might not even have him give a State of the Union address until next year. Uh, Unless some of y'all's theories out there about Kamala Harris come true. He may never even give a State of the Union address to speech. I don't know. But my main point is if he makes it to 2024, he could be riddled with primary challenges because that entire story I just gave you between 1968 with LBJ and to 1980 is very true. It's just not in the right order – very true to today. It's not in the right order of today, right? And by the way, you can go back even further than that. Richard Nixon ran against JFK. The first time when Richard Nixon lost, it was rigged with voter fraud in Illinois, in Chicago. That's where dead people voting, the the theme of dead people voting comes from. That's where the Democrat Party started dead people voting. And Richard Nixon, you know, he challenged election fraud and and he won cases after JFK, you know, was inaugurated. and, And the election process was a little bit different back then, yada, yada, yada. And he eventually ran again and won. Uh, and, and he at the time he was vice president for you know Eisenhower, uh, so you can throw that in, you know throw that into the mix. But main point is you have a lot of similarities to today and back then. That frankly, folks, it's repeating itself not in the right order. But L- I, I'm just saying if if Biden thinks about running in 2024. We'll have to see how the rest of the next four years goes because anything can happen. Maybe he does do a great job and and, he, and his approval ratings are at an honest 90% and I can't touch him at that point. And, you know, maybe nobody will want to primary him. But if he keeps, if he keeps stay, staying in the shadows and his approval ratings continue to go down because he's just at 50%, he's at the same level Trump was at in his presidency, uh, which is not good because most presidents are in like 60s, 70s right now. When they when they're starting off, so he might be welcoming a primary challenge. I don't know if it'll be his own vice president. He might not. He might pull an LBJ and decide not to run again, and then you can have an open seat. And 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 you go back to even repeating history again. Grover Cleveland was the only president to serve two non two terms non consecutively, and. Grover Cleveland, when he lost his first one to McKinley, uh, blamed voter fraud as voter fraud as well. So 
history repeats itself. It's very much more similar to the 1970s with the whole uh, charismatic thing, LBJ, Jimmy Carter. Uh, keep an eye on midterms. We'll have to see how those go. Also, because uh, that will affect things, we'll keep an update on that. But also, gas prices are already on the way up. Have you noticed that? They're at 250 SL 275 today, just driving around. Folks, it wasn't but right before. Right before Donald Trump left, that it was in like one ninety, one eighty, and if if gas prices continue to go up, that won't be a good sign for the Biden administration, for 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 President Biden at all, or for any Democrat wanting to run in twenty twenty four. I don't care what your stance is on you know electrical cars. We're not going to get electric cars predominantly a thing in the market if you think we're going that way for at least ten twenty years. It's it. It's not going to be a fast change. People don't have the cash to just go out and buy electric cars all of a sudden. It has to be gradual. Yes, government will have to force it and put electric car chargers on every gas station. I mean there's a lot of investment, money, time uh, to be able to change these things. So gas is still going to be a predominantly big factor of everyday life and in politics. So if gas prices continue to go up, Americans are going to go, what the hell happened? When Donald Trump was president, it was low. And before Donald Trump was president, it was high. When Obama was president, we were at, I remember gas being at four bucks. And now, and I remember Donald Donald Trump, gas was at $1.50 at its lowest. At its lowest, I saw $1.50. I have the picture on my phone. But gas prices, that'll be a big indicator. That hurt Jimmy Carter, if you remember folks lining up all in line to get gas it was like six bucks a gallon which by the way back then was extra expensive going back to our inflation comments but they also had shortages foreign policy obviously with both jimmy carter and lbj that was a big big uh, factor into why nobody liked him i don't know we'll have to see what president biden's thing uh foreign policy lays out how americans react to it it's typically it's typically uh a war Right, like you got or hostage situation, something very big and unordinary. So, like you know, the Vietnam War, obviously, for LBJ, and then the hostage situation for Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter couldn't shake this hostage situation for like a year, and then day one, Ronald Reagan takes office. They release the hostages. It's a different difference in strategy and the approach that the Reagan administration and the Carter administration had. Um, but besides the point, people didn't want their American hostage. They didn't want to hear about the American hostages again. They were just like, "Why didn't Jimmy Carter? Co- Why can't we get them out of for the best country on earth?" So we'll have to see how that goes, you know. And there's things like the Iraq nuclear, or not the Iraq nuclear war. Yeah, Iran getting a nuclear weapon. We'll see how the Iran deal goes. The Iran nuclear deal. Uh, the Paris Climate Accords. How does Amer- how does Americans react to this? And and how do Republicans sell the gas prices going up and sell these foreign policies like on China getting stronger? How do they sell to the American people to be able to make this an issue? Because the media is not going to cover it unless Biden obviously and blatantly steps in it and other Democrats start signaling that they want to run in 2024 and the media is given permission to take him out. Sort of like Cuomo right now in New York where they're taking him out with this nursing home scandal. But they're also at the same time hiding uh, – they don't want Gavin Newsom of California. But by the way, did you see Gavin Newsom got enough signatures for a recall in California? The state's got a verify secretary of state. We'll see how 
uh, independent the Secretary of State is from their governor, but they they won't they won't cover the Gavin Newsom things. They like him. They look at him as a bit too candidate. But Cuomo, yeah, he's kind of rich with scandal. They they someone's given the permission to take him out. So very very interesting stuff and how it relates to today and what potential foreign policy could happen for the Biden administration that could fall apart. I would say the Iran nuclear deal and the Paris Climate Accords because. Paris Climate Accords directly affects gas prices as well as jobs. And then the Iran nuclear uh, nuclear deal, which, by the way, so Biden closed down the Keystone Pipeline. Republicans have made a big deal about it. This is how I know they're going to use this as a talking point for gas and jobs. And it has a big impact. But then they approve at their through their military base and through taking away sanctions, gas – uh, pipeline, an oil pipeline going through Iran, through Russia. So it's okay if the we if we do it in the Middle East, but not over here in the United States. Well, folks, I have a I had a lot more I wanted to talk about. I just started rambling on and on and on. Good content here, at least I think so. But it doesn't matter what I think; it's a matter of what what you think. But then again, you're tuning in to hear what I think. But then I need to know what you think. So I know what thoughts I need to portray to you. So what does that mean? That means you need to email me whether you like this or not at rightmindedpodcast.com. Let me know your thoughts, questions, concerns, theological insights. I like getting your emails. It gives me feedback. Also, feel free to give us five stars on all of our platforms and share this with your friends. It's just some sort of small chat discussion they can listen to in the car while they're driving or while they're at work, uh, you know, working the forklift, the good old average Joe forklift. Let them know about that. But uh, really quick, I will talk about this. I'm going to leave this on my desk and talk about the next episode. We'll go into detail. I know a lot of y'all were worried about 2020 elections. Democrats took the White House and the Senate. Uh, but again, good news down ballot and state legislators. Republicans had record gains. Um, and look at what we're doing on the state legislative level for things that we would do in Congress when we take over. State legislative level, more abortion restrictions, constitutional carry, censures on big tech, Georgia legislator uh, mulling over what whether or not they should ban Zuckerberg from donations, school choices on the rise. Are you talking about Cuomo? So yeah, that's that's those are the things that are on the rise to keep an eye out for, and we've talked about some of this before on the show. But one thing we will talk about as well: census data is is supposed to be released according to federal law April first and sent to the state legislators thereof, so they can start their redistricting and reapportionment, and so the campaigns of the various committees can strategize for the twenty twenty two midterms. However, the Census Bureau just released a statement saying. That it will, it may take until September first. They're trying to meet the April first deadline, and they're citing Chinese cold as the reason why they can't get it out in time. Now, folks, the, if you got the numbers and you were able to count somebody, I, I really don't understand how it's this hard to to apportion, how to figure out how many, what state gets what, what state doesn't, for congressional districts and electoral votes. Either you have it or you don't. It's It's been what? They stopped counting at the end of last summer? It takes that long to figure out – it takes eight months to figure this out? 
come on. There's something going on here. The Biden administration, I bet you, just wants to somehow find a way to fudge numbers so they don't lose electoral votes, so they don't lose congressional seats in places like California and New York. We'll see because they have projections based on the the estimates they released at the end of 2020 and the 2019 estimates that they, when they were counting people. People are banking on those. People are donating to these committees based on those. They're donating to campaigns based, or they're donating to campaigns based on those numbers that they release. So if something wonky comes up where you're like, "Wow, New York gained three and you know, or or they didn't lose one or two, you'll know something's up. Well, anyway, I've ran a little bit past our time. We will see y'all in a couple of days. And again, give us five stars. Share with your families and friends. And remember, folks, when you're out and about with your daily life, talking to friends, family, some clerk at the grocery store, something comes up. Don't be afraid to voice your conscience. See you on a couple days.